0: Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia.
1: Today we'll be talking about some eccentric science stories, including shooting lasers at the moon to make an internet, using light and LEDs to transmit for the internet, how Google has turned Minecraft into a quantum physics educational tool. And possible cures for baldness using 3D modeling and corroge cells.
0: And now we launch into our launchpad news segment.
1: This week's City of Science is the Virginia Spaceport, often all, all referred to as the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport. It's a spaceport located on a peninsula of land that extends off the US mainland, very close to Washington and Richmond in Virginia, on the northeastern coast of the United States of America. Now while we're talking about this uh Little spaceport, and it's not the main spaceport that you think of on the US East Coast, which is obviously the big one at Florida at Cape Canaveral. This one's located further north, which is further away from the equator. And they launched the fantastic lunar space probe LADE on the 6th of October from there, and a lot of other different uh, space probes and it was really interesting that they managed to do this because they launched it whilst NASA was shut down as part of the US government shutdown. Because obviously NASA is not an essential service to the US government, Uh, most of the staff are actually working on leave without pay. So they still launched this probe from the Virginia spaceport, despite all the challenges they faced. Now, LADEE is a super important probe for observing the earth and the moon. Um, That's what it's, it's, its job will be. And the launch itself was phenomenal. Because this spaceport is very close to a lot of major cities, such as Washington DC and New York. And the trail of the launcher, it, made a, it was on a very clear night. And what it meant that you could see the, the trail of the launch rocket curve across the sky in a beautiful, brilliant arc that lasted for minutes. From basically most of the major cities on the eastern seaboard all the way up to the far northeast in Maine, all the way down south to the Carolinas. And that's incredible. It looked like a giant blazing um, rocket launch across the sky, and there's some fantastic photos of the city of New York superimposed with this, uh, this launch behind it. And you'd think that it was almost like an alien invasion or some kind of sci-fi picture, but it was actually what happened, uh, thanks to some great work at NASA at the uh, Virginia Space Center.
0: Justin, do you bring any chance of an LCD TV?
1: Well, yes, I, I do, actually.
0: Well, apparently NASA can one-up you because they've got an LLCD TV, which is currently on board a probe which is um, flying around the moon, approximately 380,000 kilometres away.
1: Hey, what's this probe called? LADEE. Well, What does LADEE stand for, Lauren?
0: LADEE stands for the Lunar Atmospheric and Dust Environment Explorer, and it's a NASA um, exploration device.
1: So they've got this lattice circling the moon, and they've got the uh, Lunar Laser Communication Demonstration, the LLCD, uh, set up on it. And what they're trying to test is super-fast, high-speed internet by using lasers on the moon to transfer data.
2: Not only that, an interplanetary internet.
1: Basically, an inter- tra- interplanetary data transfer speed, or interplanetary internet. And they're talking about transfer speeds of 622 megabits per second. Um, so-
0: so, so, Justin, what would be even be needing an interplanetary internet for?
1: <laughs> well, many things. Okay, so this would be fantastic for Earth, because if we could bounce things off the moon, you could use it for Earth-based communication systems. But forgetting that, if you actually want to start communicating with stuff outside of the Earth, like space probes, we've traditionally relied on radio. And radio is fine because it's relatively low-powered to transmit, and you could just have it push away. But the problem is if you're not spewing out with a lot of power, it doesn't go very far, it can get lost in the noise, and it goes everywhere. It doesn't really it's not really focused in a really narrow band.
2: So what they're investigating doing here is using lasers. So in contrast to radio waves, which are literally caused by electrons in a big antenna vibrating, which creates an omnidirectional source, lasers are a very, very coherent source of light with a very, very narrow focus. And that means that basically instead of having to send Information in all directions. You can send information in one direction. So, for the same amount of power, you can send a signal a lot further and still have it understood.
0: So, instead of blasting Britney Spears' Toxic at the moon, so we're going to be shooting lasers at it.
1: Correct. Basically, now, for example, like Voyager One, which is um, NASA's most furthest away probe, um, it has it has a very large uh, radio antenna to to actually push back the information it gathers from outside of the solar system. By
2: very large, we mean seventy meters. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, now, that's a lot of um, energy to actually operate the antenna that listens to Voyager. Uh, and Voyager itself also consumes a lot of energy actually pushing out its information along that. If you use, so the LLCD, for example, the Lunar Laser Communication System, that only uses three simple um, ground-based terminals to actually cover the signals. And it's really interesting because we've been constrained by the power consumption required to transmit and also the constraints of the transmitting the data. When we talk to our Mars probes, if we want to upload a new program to them, a new bit of software or download some images and video, it takes a long time. Not just because of the 8 minute time difference. It takes to get information from Earth to to Mars, but also because it takes a lot of time to transfer. It's like a 56k modem. It's really unbearably slow. This, by contrast, would be 622 megabits per second. And, for example, with the NBN, we're talking about anywhere from 20 to 100 megabits a second, or a gigabit per second. This is is basically substantially faster than your current internet speeds over interplanetary distances, which is incredible. The
2: interesting nuance here is actually the way they've structured it. So they've got, basically, your traditional radio waves on Earth, because... The atmosphere, as anyone who studied physics will know, is kind of not all that conducive to sending lasers around the place. So they use your conventional radio waves to get the signal to, you know, say, a collector station or a relay or an ampli- amplification station in Earth orbit, which can then basically send a laser to the Moon or Mars or Voyager, if Voyager had been equipped with such equipment. And this would allow basically a really, really fast interconnected network of Sounds. relay and listening satellites across the solar system to allow basically blinding fast in a <laughs> slightly different context possibly than we are used to, but fast connections and data transmits transfers across the stars.
1: And that's really, really cool. I mean, they're launching a couple more satellites to form this interconnected network, and it really shows some of the advances that might occur in technology as we go forward. Leave the, this planet behind and start dealing with things across the planet. So even if we're not sending individual astronauts and everything out into space we're sending a lot of robots and probes and we need to talk to them and this could enable us to talk a really fast race and get them all interconnected in a giant internet of space things which will be really cool to see one day in the future lauren have you ever looked at a flashing light and thought about its intricacies and wonders and what it might mean when it starts flashing at you in different colors
0: I usually get just get distracted by the light attacking my eyes and try and get away from it.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, But LED lights have revolutionised our planet because they mean that we can have lighting with low power consumption and a whole variety of colours really cheaply and quickly. It's very high efficiency. It's very high efficiency. People love LEDs because they can do amazing things with them. Cover their entire house with thirty thousand individually controllable, multiple coloured things, lights, for example. Um, But Let's have some interesting applications that they're now looking at in the realm of telecommunications. So just like the uh, NASA is looking at using lasers to communicate uh, with in between planetary probes, here on Earth, people are looking at testing lead-based internet transmission. So that- this is a
2: bit different to what you could think of about fibre optics. Sure, a lot of fibre optics are actually driven by a lead or a laser diode sending out the signal. This is a bit different. This is using an LED to send is without a cable, without a bit of fiber, which is basically just glass. So just, just across the air. So you can imagine, you know, looking out your window and seeing a red light blinking very quick. It would be so fast you wouldn't see it blinking. But a red light off in the distance, and that red light's sending you your internet.
1: That's right. And that's what they're talking about here. This is a fantastic group that a UK group of researchers are really digging into. And it's basically called Li-Fi. It's the, the term. Um, so it's coming out of the University of Edinburgh that they're looking at.
0: So why is this a good thing?
1: Well, if you think about it, when you run a cable... So, for example, most of our internet comes through fibre optic cable. The whole NBN project in Australia is about using either optical fibre or copper, depending on which model you look at, to transmit information. Um, which means we have to lay a lot of cable. The cable can be cut, damaged, bent, broken, get really old, degrade if it's copper. And have it,
2: People drive like backhoes through it. Yeah, and
1: it's really it's messy, right? It can be interrupted. If you don't have to lay the cable, you cut down on the infrastructure cost. And it makes it really easy to install and really cheap to run uh, because you don't need very complicated stations for. So the idea is just to use really, really fast blinking lens and a receiving station that looks at it to actually understand and pass information that way. It would work much like If you think about it, uh, if you think about it almost as a semaphore or a flag or a light bait system, we used Morse... So it's sort of
2: like smoke signals, but with with a frequency of several gigahertz. Yeah, or
1: or, um, Morse, the way Morse was used, or light towers where they flashed on and off on ships. Using that at a super fast rate using high-powered LEDs. The rate of data transmission they're talking about getting is basically 10 gigabits, which is 10 times faster than Google Fibers. Optical fibre connection Which is about 1 gigabit The internet Planetary space network We're talking about Was six 600 megabits So we, this is, And your current Internet speed Is probably around 25 megabits
2: If you're being optimistic
1: Yeah So 10 gigabits Is crazy but I would like to say there are probably some substantial drawbacks with To this. start
2: with, if a little boy decides to fly his little drone helicopter outside your house, your internet may suddenly disappear.
1: Or kite, or cloud, or any other visual obstruction, because this system relies on line of sight. Your receiver and sender need to be able to see each other in order to pass information.
2: Which could mean that uh, in the future cities could look really cool because everyone would have a 20 metre tower... Above yeah, The, house. Yeah, the <laughs> light blinking on top
1: of it Now, it, hey, it may not be super practical for an individual house to have a system like this But businesses and uh, big companies such as power utilities, water utilities They often use microwave links, right? And, uh, which are basically towers that send microwave radiation from one point to the next point to transmit information You can do it and they also require line of sight you could do the same thing but have more transfer speed, better quality using LEDs is what you are saying. And this is because
2: the LEDs operate in the visual frequencies, which are much faster.
1: That's right.
0: Unfortunately, some of the drawbacks mean that we can't actually use this for the um, interplanetary internet connection we were talking about before. That's
1: right, because... There's
2: a, fairly, there's a fairly limited range on it. For Line of sight isn't so much the issue, but the other thing is this system would work quite well over several kilometres, but as soon as you start going through 80 kilometres of atmosphere that you need to get into space... You run into the issue of light gets bent, obviously. That's why the sky is blue, in fact, is light from the sun being bent. You can imagine if it does that to the sun,
1: what it would do to a single little man-made beam of light. And also, obviously, the major limit is also, of course, the curvature of the Earth. You can't transmit over super, super long distances, say across an ocean, because the curvature of the Earth will get in the way. And you'd have to have a whole bunch of relaying stations. But inside a city, this could be a great way to have a high-speed backbone of transmission Save so you skyscrapers, for Skyscrapers, cell towers, so your radio, and mobile phone towers, instead of running optical fiber between them, you could run these Li Fi connections between them as well. And it'll be a really interesting way, example of actually building up high speed internet without laying cable infrastructure. Lauren, I love playing with blocks and Lego. And uh, the digital version of this nowadays for most kids is not so much LEGO, but digital LEGO in the form of Minecraft. And Minecraft is huge. It is a game which simulates a whole bunch of things. And people have managed to build computers, giant versions of Lord of the Rings towns, all other kinds of really interesting and fascinating things. And it's a really popular game for young adults and also for young children. Some interesting people have been repurposing um, Minecraft into an educational tool, to teach some really, really advanced concepts. So, what's going on here, James? So, some researchers from Caltech,
2: particularly a a specific quantum mechanic, have decided to mod Minecraft to make it simulate the quantum world. Now, obviously, as anyone who has ever studied quantum physics will realise, normally we can't see macroscopic quantum objects. However, what they've done for this game is basically just ignore that for a moment, say, setting Planck's constant to something more like 1, and built some large blocks that basically show some of the common principles so entanglement, superposition, those sort of things. So this lets a young kid approach quantum mechanics by playing with a very familiar environment by sliding blocks around.
1: And this is really cool because it it's a really interesting educational innovation. Um, when I first encountered quantum physics in high school it's a really hard concept to get your head around because you aren't able to visualise or see what you're doing Quantum is the properties of the subatomic world, and it's really kind of interesting to try and think about, okay, this if I keep redoing this action, there is a probability. For example, a, a macroscopic example is often taught, was that if I keep punching a wall, um, <laughs> the properties of superposition and probabilistic theory of position of electrons means that if... I was punching a wall made of electrons. Eventually, my hand would just pass through it because probabilistically, at some point, that would happen.
2: The fact that you would need to do this with the entire age of the universe is, is a different story.
1: So we used examples like that to communicate and express these ideas uh, when doing education. This has taken this to a new level and put it into a digital context where people can experiment and create interesting things. So this, this is actually being funded uh, and, and uh, sponsored by Google who are actually really interested in, A, helping sponsor education, um, but also quantum mechanics, because quantum computing is gonna be the next big thing in technology. And there has been some great strides made in it. And Google, as a technology-based company, uh, are very much keen on making sure we have the brightest minds who are able to deal and understand this quantum world. So they're hoping that kids get to play with QCraft, learn and understand the quantum principles, maybe even come up with some new interesting things, in it, and therefore help expand uh, scientific research, or even be familiar enough so that when they're in a position to work for Google in 10 years' time, that they'll also be able to understand and work on these concepts from something familiar that they started with. This is really an interesting way of adapting uh, technology to be a better educational tool. Um, now. In terms of actual it's, advocate, and its strict abeyance of the laws of physics, it's probably not the biggest, uh, most accurately correct thing. That being said, it is quite appropriate that gravity is
2: once again left out as the Minecraft tradition, given that our qu- current quantum theories don't actually include gravity.
1: But that's a very good point. So what are some of the properties? Tell me a bit about what these properties that it's dis- um, displaying or demonstrating to people, James. So obviously one is uh, entanglement.
2: So entanglement's the idea that you can have a couple of things that... When they're created together, they behave in a similar fashion. This is something that's not terribly well understood, and certainly not understood by people like me. Um, But the general idea is, if you create something together, they will both observe the same state, so even separated by large amounts of distances. So in the game, this is modelled by, say, having two blocks, where if you observe one block, the other block takes the same state, even though logically, through standard quantum mechanics, both of them have a chance of being one state or the other, depending when you look at them. But this says that because they're a coupled system, they in fact behave in the same way. And this can be used to do some really interesting effects, like having a single block more or less acting as a probabilistic light switch
1: yeah and that's really cool so if you look at if you look at this block uh, uh, and observe it, it will resolve to its state of off for example and everything else that's connected or coupled with it through quantum entanglement will also be off we think about this really simply as like yeah obviously you can do that in a game, you can make this thing all the others behave like a copy of this one but it, what it's doing in this process is actually mimicking the quantum entanglement process in a way that is familiar so not hard to code in but an interesting, putting that functionality into the universe makes you able to play around and experiment with things you can do with entanglement that you may not have thought And this is a really
2: fundamental concept because entanglement is a really complex idea but really strange to think about because you're literally saying that I don't know where the other couple atom of this is but I know if I punch this atom that way the other one will do exactly the same thing. And for that to be linked like that it's something that is really not well understood and a great mystery to a lot of physicists.
1: And really hard to test because you can actually set up... We have done tests with quantum entanglement where we've tied a couple two things together, separated them over distance, changed one and observes the distance, the change of the other. We've done that over a distance of hundreds of kilometres. But it's really expensive and really hard to play around with that. And certainly out of the question for a kid to do that. And kids are really creative and innovative. So if you give them the, the ability to play around with something like this, who knows what they could come up with? And this is what Google's banking on. To create the next generation of quantum engineers, or quantum mechanics, if you will, as the uh, expert Spiridon McCallicus from uh, Caltech has referred to. So this is called QCraft, and it's really interesting, and it's a really nice bit of innovation of education, as well as technology, in the quantum space.
0: This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point.
1: This week we talked about a whole bunch of eccentric science stories involving NASA, and their space internet, internet using high-speed light transfer with LEDs, as well as quantum physics making its way into the world of Minecraft with QCraft.
0: Our ending theme was composed by Audio analytics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.